Power Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. So are you open to redefine enlightenment? Enlightenment, what does that mean? Many people desire the experience of oneness and go to great lengths to achieve enlightenment. Perhaps you're a seeker who's developed a spiritual discipline or religious practice and experienced fleeting moments of utter bliss. Other people magically experience non-ordinary states of consciousness without even trying. I am often asked how to develop higher states of consciousness when you haven't had an awakening experience or a near-death or an out-of-body experience. Well, What if enlightenment is more of a mindset that you can develop than a random serendipitous breakthrough in consciousness? Our guest today may challenge your understanding of enlightenment, and our conversation may just shift your perspective and help you to open to an enduring, enlightened sense of prosperity every day day. Are you looking for enlightenment in all the wrong places? I invite you to take a few deep breaths. Bring your awareness into this moment. Open your heart and mind and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Matthew Ferry is a spiritual teacher, executive life coach, and founder of Matthew Ferry International LLC. He works with Wall Street clients and helps them transform stress into creativity and resourcefulness by using the rapid enlightenment process. His process helps people get their mind to go quiet, to transcend their survival mind, and achieve an enlightened state. Ferry is also the author of Quiet Mind, Epic Life. He challenges readers to reach their highest potential in mind, body, and business. Welcome to our show, Matthew. Wow, that's a great introduction. I, I, I appreciate that, and I'm super excited about helping our listeners to think about enlightenment in a whole new way. Well, I am confident we are because I have prepared a list of questions for you, Matthew Ferry, that I can't wait to dig into because this is going to be a fun conversation. And um, as I was reading your book, Epic Mind or excuse me, Quiet Mind, Epic Life. Um, It it was really a fun and interesting experience to just really be in that place of um, allowing and non-judgment and see what wanted to come through. And it was really fun. I even have an example of driving to work and um, just today, driving to the studio to to get here to do the show. And um, I'll share that I'll share that example later when we begin to talk about some of these things because it was really fun to go, oh yeah, there's Matthew in my mind right now. So let's dig in, Matthew. I first have a traditional question right here on the Dr. Julie show that I love to ask. So would you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? We exist inside of a quantum field. 
this is uh, now uh, scientifically validated, and we we are in a place today where science has essentially shown us that God exists, that there's this oneness, there's this this uh, essential nature. Let's call it uh, the electrons, the quarks, the the uh, neutrinos. They are self-assembling. They're self-assembling. You're not assembling them. I'm not assembling them. Nobody's assembling them. They're coming together. They're turning into the atoms, the molecules, and everything that we see. We are essentially all one thing, expressing itself with infinite variety. Mm. Lovely. I love the idea of self-assembling, too. I talk a lot about self-organizing and to just even talk about... Um, consciousness and that information of the field informing us and we're informing this this higher state of being as well and that that idea of self-assembling is really cool okay so let's dig in Matthew this is going to be fun and I want to start with your story because I'm really curious you talk about having a profound experience when you're nine and that's something that was something that you always desired to re-experience and then you did. Can you tell us more about you and your story and what brings you to now on the planet and writing this book, Quiet Mind, Epic Life? Absolutely. Well, as a uh, currently a 51-year-old man about to turn 52, I got to go all the way back to nine years old because that's where it started for me. And at nine years old, I had several experiences, Julie, where I felt like I was floating above my body. And I felt this profound peace. And the experience was so powerful that as an adult, I was driven to find a predictable path to get back to that feeling, that feeling that I could only describe as all is well. Mm. And I will tell you, after personally coaching thousands of people from Wall Street to Main Street, I've discovered I'm not alone. Most people just want to feel like all is well. And for each of us, as we are, are tending to our own lives and, and, and creating the life that we want, it's so powerful to experience a deep trust that things are going to be okay. And that feeling is achieved by developing a quiet mind. And developing a quiet mind is a skill. It's, it's a skill that I have sought to, to develop in myself over the last few decades and about 10 years ago, I had a shift where I was like, oh, wait, there is a system here to have this occur. And this book is essentially me documenting what that system is. Mm. Okay, we're going to dig into some of those steps, but um, you're, you're speaking the language already, developing a quiet mind. So you define enlightenment perhaps in a way that's very familiar to our listeners, yet in a way that makes us completely rethink what we believe about the like state of enlightenment. So you take the idea of the mystical, magical awakening process and you bring it down into this shift in perspective and mindset. And, and almost this quiet mind feels, um, what do I want to say, um, synonymous with enlightenment in reading your book. So talk about your, your definition of enlightenment and how you created this simplicity around it. Like literally, we all know those who have been on these 
mystical, spiritual journeys forever, trying to, trying to land this experience just like you did when you were nine and then say, wait, I want that all as well feeling. How did you land the simplicity here? Let's define enlightenment from your perspective and talk about that. For me, enlightenment is the recognition that the source of life for you is the source of life for everyone and everything. That we're all one thing expressing itself with infinite variety. So it's not a place. Enlightenment is not a place. It's not a destination. It's actually a framework. It's a framework that invokes a particular state. And one of the things that we can can define about that state that it invokes is that your mind goes completely quiet. And it turns out that your mind's job is survival and that the the source of all of the unwanted talking in your mind is some aspect of survival. But from this perspective that we're all one thing expressing itself with infinite variety, I mentioned it at the beginning, that first question. From that perspective, there's nothing to fear. We're all one thing expressing itself with infinite variety. There's nowhere to go. You're not on the hook for anything. In essence, you don't matter. Your life doesn't matter. What you do doesn't matter. You are life expressing itself. And that is unbelievably empowering because if you don't matter, all guilt and obligation disappears and you get to choose what matters. And that's the basis of living a fulfilling life, what I call an epic life. Mm. I like that epic life. Um, the whole phrase just makes me feel happy, like I'm in this place. And so before we so before we get into some of the nuts and bolts here, you were just saying that Achieving that mindset, that framework, this, um, it's almost like, it's hard to call it a state of consciousness because what you're saying is the framework helps create those states of consciousness. But what you had said was you're free of guilt, obligation. We, we can transcend cultural dogma and societal programming and fear and concern and doubt and worry. You've said all this. Um, who wouldn't want all that, right? So can you speak more about this kind of happy? And in it, you, in the book, you describe six qualities of being enlightened that I really want to presence here because they're beautiful. So the wisdom, profound, fe- profound peace, fear disappears, courage, and your presence is experienced as a gift. And then the last one is you're special because you realize you're not special. And you kind of touched on that too. So let's talk about this kind of happy. What are we going to achieve here? It's, it's, not, it's not actually happy. So uh, happy, happiness itself has a quality to it that uh, is conditional. It's actually neutrality. And the neutrality itself, like the base state, when your mind stops talking and you are no longer concerned and you are in the present moment, there's just this joy. There's a joy of being alive. Now, I will tell you that for many of my students, there is this initial shock because emotionality disappears. 
they're no longer on this incredible high and this incredible low. You mentioned at the beginning of the show to the listener that, you know, we, we were seeking that moment of bliss, but even that, even those moments of bliss will be transcended. Those are just the first initial things that happen. You go into this bliss and you're like, ah, it it drives you to want to achieve it more. But as you continue to release any need to be anything, you go into a state of nothingness. And that state of nothingness means that anything is possible and you start to recognize weight the universe, God, source, the background field of energy and information is creating. I am what is being created. I am this potential. And the potential for people like you and I, and, and I suspect your listeners, the potential is enlightenment expressing itself in day-to-day living. Because in the past, there's no place for that. In the past, you go into an enlightened state, basically it would freak everybody out, and now you were in a threatened state. You had to leave. But today, you can be in a an enlightened state, and the relative safety that the majority of us are living in these days makes it a viable place to live, makes it a viable way to operate. And let's be honest, when your mind is quiet, you're free from stress. You're free from worry and concern. And that's a big deal because the American Institute of Stress, it tells us that 73% of Americans are dealing with psychological stress and worry and concern. And that's bad for people because they make bad decisions. They don't see things clearly. They're not easy to be around. Their creativity is diminished. Their energy is zapped. And if you are the type of person who wants to live a really good life, like that's inside of you then being the best version of yourself unburdened by these survival motives is a really positive thing to do. And that's what developing a quiet mind helps you to do. And it is a skill that people can develop. Yeah, it is a skill. We're going to talk about the quiet mind in a minute. I just want to, um, first you said something, I'm going to paraphrase something like enlightenment is expressing itself in every day. And it's like, giving ourselves the permission to do this enlightenment. And I really appreciate you um, saying there's even really no more bliss. So I want to go back to the emotion thing because I hear this so often. And I hear this in the the anti-New Age community of saying, you know, it's boohooey to think you'll never have emotions. You're human. You should have emotions. But But seriously, in this state of being, there is an equanimity that is really precious and you're, you know, you talk about the highs and the lows go away. How, how can you explain that to those probably in the, the psychology realm that say that's, that's so not true. You're human. You will have emotions. What is, how do we differentiate that? What, how do we create that neutrality? There's emotion for survival. Dumb human, hunk of meat, intelligence not truly developed, evolutionary process. That human being, that animal is driven by motives, by instincts, by by feelings. So at, 
our our ancestors needed to have those incredible highs to pull them forward to those things that would would create the the survivability the sugar the sex the happiness the camaraderie they needed to have the the pain and the suffering to drive them away from those things that were were dangerous to them but as you begin to acknowledge that you that you know, let's just be honest. What's going to kill most people in the first world countries today to like stress and what you eat. So it's like self-induced. But I mean, obviously, we're all going to die. Right. I'm being a l- I'm exaggerating a little bit. But here's the thing to look at. The survivability of humanity today is at an all time high. Therefore, Allowing ourselves to be to indulge in survival based thinking and emotions is actually a waste. It's a waste of our time because we're we're applying the old framework to the new situation. We've evolved. Mm. We've evolved. So you don't need the, the extreme highs and the extreme lows to move the unintelligent being in a particular direction. And enlightenment really is just about uh, being aware of modern information. That's really like the dictionary definition. And so as you become aware of this more modern information, you transcend the emotions. It doesn't mean that you don't have pleasant feelings, and it doesn't mean that the body isn't there to to come to your rescue when uh, a bee stings you or, you know, there's a there's something in the in the food that is making you feel bad. Right. You want all of that. It's just that that doesn't make any sense when you're in a conversation with your wife. And yet those emotions become present all the time and ruin the relationship. Mm. So I, I love this. It takes us right into this idea of of the quiet mind versus the you, you called it the survival mind mm-hmm. and you, you also call it the drunk monkey. We're going to get into that. And, you know, later when I, when we talk about your process, but this survival mind, that reptilian brain, the instincts inside of us that really see us as separate and don't want to be annihilated, or some people even will refer that to that as the ego. Um, th- that is the origin of most emotion. Is that what we're talking about here? That from that place of the survival mind, like you've mentioned, the good feelings lead us toward good things. The negative feelings help us to survive, run, get the heck out of there, do whatever. But almost all, I I love how you said, applying the old framework to the new situation and this modern information. So when when we're saying, when you're saying, to develop this enlightenment, we're free of guilt, obligation, worry, fear, concern, doubt. Those emotions come from the survival mind. Is that correct? Yeah, let's let's call let's actually call it a survival context. Okay. So the survival mind is a result of a survival context, which is the illusion that you are in a survival situation. But your your sister telling you that you are fat and ugly, while that is just innately a negative and destructive thing to say to somebody, it's not, you're not in an actual survival situation. Yet the mind could hold on to that and hold a grudge for decades. 
even though it's not relative, even though you are you are looking the way you want to look and you're controlling your body and you're maybe you've already uh, coupled with someone and you're you're fulfilling your genetic potential. Yet the mind is holding a framework about the sister that is is old and outdated. She is not a threat. Mm. I appreciate the time piece there in, in linear time is that the old framework is really um, also historical in as we're talking about this. I, I When I heard that the first time I'm thinking of the old framework is something we've evolved past and we don't need it. But you in this example, you're talking about something that happened when you were 12 is not relevant right here, right now, and you are not in danger and there's no need to carry that forward. And awareness makes you flexible, which reveals new options, and that's what gives you power. And so enlightenment is really, if we look at just the, the dictionary definition, it's having or showing a rational, modern, and well-informed outlook. That's, the, that's how the dictionary defines enlightened. Hmm. And your awareness immediately opens you up to say, well, wait a second, you know, that's something that she said all those years ago, yet I'm still holding on to it. I, I've transformed my situation. I'm reacting to something that isn't real. There's this awareness that makes you flexible. That opens you up to new options. All of a sudden, there's six options that were there that weren't there before. This is the, this is the, uh, the things that create bliss in our world, is the coming upon new options that are such a delight to behave in ways that are more in control of our experience. It's so delightful, it's so uplifting. And then that is the power state. So awareness makes you flexible, that reveals new options and options give you power. And we know the opposite of that, Julie, because we have, we have all felt powerless, which is what being a victim is. It's the mm. lack of options. Matthew, this it reminds me of some of the examples in your book. So this is brilliant. I just want to stay right here on this one example of the sister calls you fat and ugly. And in the present day, so let's say 40 years later, you're holding on to that experience. And so the opposite of awareness makes you flexible and you move beyond it. As you're holding on to it, we walk through life fearing that someone else is going to say we're fat and ugly. So then we look in the mirror and say, am I fat? Do I look ugly today? And then we meet someone new and they look at us funny and we think they think I'm fat and ugly. And we create this self-induced suffering by holding on to this old, what do we call it? What do we we're call it? Call, an interpretation of it, reality? Yeah, it's, it's an interpretation through something that I call a hidden motive to survive. And one of the hidden motives is hatred. And in this particular case, it is self-hatred. Mm. And so uh, it's not that my sister said something that, that um, was real. She said something that I already believed and feared about myself. Mm. Yeah. And unless I unless I have the awareness, I can't distinguish it. If I can't distinguish it, there's then it has me. What I resist will persist. What I accept will transform. Acceptance is the single most powerful thing that you can do. I appreciate that. What I accept will transform. It's beautiful. So 
so in that example of hanging on to that, um, how might you, before we get into the, the rapid enlightenment process, there's just this one before we take a break. So someone's hanging on to something like, my sister said I'm fat and ugly, and now I have this self-hatred of believing that I'm fat and ugly, and I walk down the street, and I look in the mirror, and I, I fear that other people are going to think I'm fat and ugly or say I'm fat and ugly, but most of, mostly probably think it because I'm in my own little thing. What do you say to those who are experiencing that self-induced suffering and hell? You have to spot the hidden motive. So one of the, one of the techniques that I help people to, to do is pull apart what is underneath the thinking, because what we discover is that the thinking is not something you can control. Now, you, you need to understand, Julie, I'm looking at my mentor's mentor's record on the wall right now. My mentor was my father, Mike Ferry. My father's mentor was a man named Earl Nightingale. Earl, Earl Nightingale had the very first spoken word gold record called The Strangest Secret. And The Strangest think it, Secret is that you become what you think about all the time. And he spawned, literally spawned the personal development industry. And when I look at all of my mentors, all of my mentors would say to me, you've got to change your thoughts to change your life. And I was like, I'm doing it. I'd put on my crash test dummy gear and I would try everything under the sun to get myself to change my own self-loathing, my own fear of criticism, my, my unwillingness to speak about the things that I was experiencing for fear of being a weirdo and being, and being ratted out, whatever. And it worked on the margin, but ultimately these fears would come back and they would sideswipe me. And it wasn't until my mentor, Dr. David Hawkins, suggested that I begin to understand the motivation of thought itself, that I was able to pull apart what was going on. And so for our listener, if they are noticing their own self-loathing, self-hatred, the game is to begin to understand what's the motivation. Why is this thinking machine that I don't really have control over, why is it continuing with this repetition? What's its objective? And as you begin to pull apart the objective, you start to discern, oh my gosh, my thoughts are a survival system. They're almost like a GPS. And but they're a GPS programmed by something else, not me, because I didn't program the destination. The, the destination is always survival. So I say, cancel, cancel. I am a powerful person. I am beautiful. I look at myself in the mirror and I am an amazing person. And here comes the drunk monkey in my head. Yeah, you're amazing, but you're fat. Look at that mole on your nose. And I'm like, what? What's going on? And I try to program, program, program. But no matter what I do, the GPS is programmed for survival. Unless I remove the motivation for thinking altogether, I will always be haunted by the irrational and illogical need to survive in a world where I'm not in a survival situation. Mm. Okay. Pause. You just gave our listeners a really good clue to what's coming in the second half. We're going to talk so much more about 
how to literally implement this rapid enlightenment process. What does that look like? And on our way out to break here, I just want to leave you with one of Matthew's quotes. When you embrace your enlightened perspective, there's no suffering. There's no desire. There's no worry. There's no doubt. There is bold, creative energy. There's inspiration. There's just love, compassion, and acceptance for all. The joy you will feel is so overwhelming that you will burst into tears of joy on a regular basis. You will be grateful to be alive. You like what you hear? Come back with us. Second half, we're going to talk so much more about Matthew's book, Quiet Mind, Epic Life, and this rapid enlightenment process. We'll be right back. Meditation channel. Non-stop meditation music 24 hours a day in the new Empower Radio app. Music to empower your meditation, help you relax, sleep, or provide a calm background while you work. The Empower Meditation Channel is interruption-free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app, free in the App Store, or listen online at empower.fm. Soothe your soul, calm your mind. The Empower Meditation Channel. There's a natural resource that exists everywhere on the planet which could benefit all of civilization. Yet it's been largely ignored. That resource is women. In many of the world's poorest communities, women are denied a significant role. So often their talent and potential remain untapped. At CARE, we found in country after country that empowering women is one of the fastest ways to improve conditions and help end poverty. That's why CARE is helping provide girls and women with an education, opportunity, and a voice worldwide. I am powerful. I am powerful. I am powerful. I am powerful. It's a source of power the world can no longer afford to overlook. She has the power to change her world. You have the power to help her do it. Call 1-800-521-CARE or visit care.org. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking, but no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times when we were more active and ate more healthy foods and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check. Change. Control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. You're so annoying. You're so annoying. Stop copying me. Stop copying me. Mom, tell her to stop copying me. Mom, tell her to stop talking me. Kids will spend 10 minutes copying everything their sibling says. You're such a doofus. You're such a doofus. How about two minutes to brush their teeth? Brushing for two minutes now can save your child from severe tooth pain later. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. Two minutes, twice a day. I have the time. Mom! A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ad Council. 
an entire station devoted to your personal development. Welcome to Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also stay connected all week on my Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. Get connected in one of my private groups, individual programs, whatever. I invite you to be a more conscious, courageous, and compassionate co-creator of the beautiful world we want to see. You can check out those opportunities at juliecrawl.com. And literally, go to the Facebook page. I am going to um, begin a little incentive um, celebration for our listeners coming up. So go there and watch for some posts coming up. We're going to give away some prizes. So make sure you go to, again, that's um, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie on Facebook. I am here with Matthew Ferry, Quiet Mind, Epic Life. Matthew, tell our listeners, what is the best website to find you? Best website to find me is my name, Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, Ferry, F-E-R-R-Y.com. Perfect. All righty. And Matthew, I just have to say, I love your yummy radio voice. It's so yummy to listen to you. And then the, everything that's coming out is so inspiring. So I hope our listeners are just like on the edge of our seat waiting to hear more about this rapid enlightenment process. But I wanted to ask you before we go into that, what, in your opinion, is the difference between enlightenment and awakening? That's a good question. I think that uh, I've never really considered it, so I'm just going to consider it with you now. Perfect. A, a, awakening, I'm going to interpret the idea of awakening as that moment or one of the many moments because awakening occurs at the various levels of consciousness. So you, you might have uh, an awakening where all of a sudden you become aware of. So awareness makes you flexible. Flexibility reveals new options. The, the, the awareness of these new options might be an awakening. Wow, I can love and appreciate my sister and understand why she said those degrading things to me because at the time her genetic programming put us into competition. And she was fighting for her survival to get a mate. And I appreciate that she was in that state. And I appreciate that I was in a state of, of um, fear and concern for my own survival and my own relevance as well. That, that's an awakening. Boom. Then enlightenment is this ongoing utilization of whatever the new framework is that that awakened state created. So I'm just I'm I'm literally making it up as we go right here. So I'm I'm trying to to give you my own interpretation of those things. But for me, maintaining the enlightened state is essentially putting practices into place that allow me to maintain what was realized during an awakening. So it's like mm. the day to day. Yeah. 
Alrighty, so we're going to dig into those practices. So in your book, you talk about the rapid enlightenment process. We kind of have dropped a few phrases, the drunk monkey. We've talked about hidden motives to survive. So these are the beginnings of a, a deeper conversation of really how to put that into practice to really stabilize the enlightened state. So we're talking about this awakening, maybe waking us to these new potentials and possibilities and then developing the practice. So the rapid enlightenment process, what is it? And what do you want to say to our listeners about it? I want to start by saying that it's a a proven four-step process to get your mind to quiet down. And that's been proven by me belly to belly coaching thousands and thousands of people week in and week out for the last 26 years. And it's a proven process to get the mind to quiet down so that you're, you stop being worried and stressed out so you can focus and take action on what actually matters to you rather than taking action on things that are more survival-based or guilt or obligation-based. And you can do this while being completely at peace with the life that you have exactly the way that it is now. So your life does not need to change. Your life is exactly the same as it was before. And yet you enter into a state of profound peace and flow. And as you do that, it, it literally awakens your creativity. So all of these new options become available, and now you're able to take action on those options and transform your life into whatever it is that you want to transform, whatever, you're, whatever makes your heart sing. So there's four steps. Let's, can we give them the four steps? Let's dig into them, yes. Let's do it. So first, got to see that your mind is not your friend. Who else calls you fat or stupid? Certainly not your friends, right? Because if your friends said that, they wouldn't be your friend. Yet we listen to the mind, what I call the drunk monkey, like it's a trusted advisor. But if you really tune in, I'm not sure why you're trusting it. Most of the time, it doesn't believe in you. It's unbelievably skeptical of other people. It's constantly judging, assessing, and evaluating everyone and everything based on some arbitrary set of standards that you never even really decided upon. It's like you were born with them. They were conditioned into you. Now, suddenly, all these things in the world are wrong based on all of this chatter that's in your head with no backup, yet it puts you into conflict with a world that's not in conflict with you. Mm. I call that the drunk monkey. The second thing you have to do is understand why the drunk monkey is talking in the first place. And for me, it turns out that the mind is motivated by 10 hidden motives to survive. I'm going to say it in this way. These are actually aspects of consciousness. So they're not necessarily just aspects of human. We see the hidden motives to survive. We see greed, for example, in the squirrel. We see we see hatred represented in um, in the different defense mechanisms of the various plants and animals on on Earth. We see victim being utilized in the pack to garner support. So greed, grudge, hatred, victim, illogical rules, humble, traitor, resistance, pride, these things will drive the thinking in our head. And if you can't see them, then they are, then they have control. Then they're creating the filters. 
So you got to see the drunk monkey and all of its shenanigans. That's all the talking in your head. You got to see that it's not on your side. It's not on your team. It doesn't even really like you. And yet you listen to it like a trusted advisor. Then you have to understand what its motivation is, these 10 hidden motives. Then the third thing you do is you turn the corner from, let's call it awareness, into new options. And the new options are what I like to call enlightened perspectives. And these are perspectives that transcend the illusions of survival consciousness. They actually um, cause you to have a framework that, that has you know all is well. So you actually practice perspectives that acknowledge your infinite nature. Hmm. And then the fourth thing that you do is you have, to, you have to practice something that I call recontextualization. And this is the skill of shifting your context, shifting your perspective from a survival-based framework. I am limited. I don't have enough. I'm not as good as other people. Right? There's all these different survival-based frameworks that create like a stress type response and you shift it into enlightened frameworks, which acknowledge that all is well, that we're all one thing expressing itself with infinite variety. And when you do those four things consistently, your mind goes completely silent. Your intuition begins to be the voice that you hear periodically when it comes. But for the most part, you're in this pervasive state of stillness and joy. So I have my example, and this might help us go to that, the idea of the recontextualization, because I think this is brilliant, and I appreciate the suction in the book. So um, on my way to the studio today, we have a little town square, and it's some people will call it, um, maybe I shouldn't say that anymore because it's not nice, so I'm not going to say what they used to call it. Um, but it's kind of a crazy situation where it's around a courthouse square and most people don't know, am I supposed to go straight or am I supposed to go to the inside or which way? And some people drive backwards around the square. So the unspoken rules of living in this town <laughs> is that when you're on the square, you have the right of way. So people coming onto the square that aren't already driving around the square need to yield for those who are already moving around the town square. And so I'm driving to the studio with my daughter in the car and I get to this corner and I start to turn around and this lady comes onto the square without yielding, without slowing, sees me making my turn and literally just does not stop and just comes onto the square. And I just kind of laughed at myself, Matthew, and I said out loud, oh, she's not operating with the same rules and expectations that I have. Okay, we'll let her go. And my daughter just looked at me like, what did you just say? And to, to me, it was just a fun, delightful way to recontextualize because you give examples like that. So let's talk more about recontextualize. And maybe you want to say something about my little, I had no stress, no worry, no, no anger, no frustration. I just looked at her and went, okay, she has different rules. And, and then we went about our way and there was no accident or fender bender. We were all, all is well, all is well. 
Well, uh, if you could see me right now, you would see that I am uh, I'm a little beclempt. I have a, a joyous emotion coursing through my whole body, a huge smile on my face, because to know that 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 skill was transmitted in the book is my, that's my ultimate objective to be able to give you or anyone else who reads the book the 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 wonderful possibility of taking anything in life and becoming empowered in the situation no matter how degrading you might have thought that it was before and that's exactly what you just demonstrated, but with a simple example, right? We we go into a survival state over someone coming onto the square and not following the rule that is impl that is implied, not necessarily explicit. Yeah, we have a, we have an adrenaline response or a cortisol response, which is degrading to the body, which adds to our stress, which limits our our life expression, potentially puts us into a state where we are are having health challenges, and we do it over things that are completely benign. Yeah, and we don't we don't think of it like benign because that's because we're not in the present moment. We never knew it never even occurred to me when I was young that my mind was not my friend never even occurred to me. I thought my mind was who I was. And as I pulled it apart and started to see, Oh wow. Okay. There, whoa. It's talking whether I wanted to or not mayday mayday. I don't want these. Why am I thinking these things? This is crazy. And then I started to go, wait a second. Am I thinking these things? I don't think so. I think that there's a thinking machine in my head. Wait a second. Am I pumping my heart right now? I don't think so. There is a blood pumping. There is a self-organizing mechanism. I am, oh my gosh. I am the universe self-organizing into what I am thinking of as Matthew Ferry. What? Right? There's the awakening. Well, how, okay. How do you live like this? And that's the four steps. Mm. So if we go back to recontextualization, it's essentially you taking control of the context and the context then creates a response or a reaction. And if you want a reaction or a response of peace and flow and joy and gratitude, that's a different context than the general survival-based context, which is the default stock equipment. Yeah. So with my example, Matthew, I, I was just thinking out loud, I, I don't normally have the strong reactions like that. However, um, I, I w I'm thinking about road rage and other people. And in that situation, my, my eight-week-old granddaughter was in the back seat. And, um, you know, I'm thinking that literally others might say, what, are you crazy? You could have had an accident. I got my granddaughter in here. The survival mechanism of, oh, my gosh, this could have been really bad. There's, you know, I just think about that drunk monkey mind that so many suffer with on a daily basis and traffic is just a really good a, a really good example like you know i'm thinking about others in the city caught in in traffic and what have you so in your book you have many different practices you have i love the segment of the re recontextualizing statements that you have. Those are brilliant. They're really, really, really helpful. You have ways to work with our survival mind. You even have 
23 daily practices that are simple yet profound. I'm brilliant. Good job on the book. Thank you. There's so much there. There's really so much there. So in the time we have left, Matthew, which is, it's too short because I have a couple more pages that I'd really love to dig in with you. But with this, um, I want to make sure that you've said what you really want to say about the enlightenment process. And then maybe we can say, what is enlightened prosperity? You talk a lot about that. And I'd love to hear you, you speak to that as well. Well, let's start with enlightened prosperity. And then let's, let's get practical and give our listener a few things that they can begin to play with to experience some of the recontextualization and the peace. So for me, uh, what I found was enlightened prosperity is is the modern interpretation, and and you and I, and probably most of your listeners, we have been influenced by um, religious overtones and and Eastern mysticism, et cetera, et cetera, and those those older versions of enlightenment uh, all took into account that prosperity itself was probably a distraction on the path. And in intense survival situations, I would agree. But in the situation that we're in today, there is no need to to renunciate and leave the world and leave money behind and et cetera, et cetera. There's just, there's no need. You did that in the past because it was it was nearly impossible to be in a peaceful state when generally the people around you were operating in the realm of black widow spiders. It's very difficult. And that's okay, right? Watch Game of Thrones and you will see, ah, no wonder people left. Enlightened prosperity is really simple. Enlightenment really means that you're experiencing the world as all is well. And prosperity comes from the Latin word prosperous, which just means that you're doing well. So when your mind goes quiet, you enter into the present moment. You're overwhelmed with this knowledge that all is well. And that activates your inner resources, your creativity, your personal power, and helps you to do well. Even in the the town square example, essentially what you were experiencing was one, all is well, this person just didn't, they're not following the rules. And then you're doing well. It's, you, didn't, you didn't lose emotional control. You didn't get stuck in the repetitions of your mind. You were able to stay in the present moment and operate your vehicle effectively. All is well, I'm doing well. Enlightened prosperity. Ooh, let's, t- let's stretch this a bit then, because before we move into those examples, um, you write in the book, and I agree wholeheartedly, and this is a tough one, the world is whole and complete exactly as it is. So when we're saying all is well, all is well, and then we look at the news and we see what's happening around the world and people go into chaos and fear and literally feel confronted with it in their face, compelled to save the world. What are we going to do? What do you say with enlightened prosperity? What is enlightened prosperity? How can it help us to say the world is whole and complete, exactly as it is, all is well? Nobody is benefiting from your negative reaction. So it's kind of like this. We're angry at Donald Trump for using anger and force 
to get his agenda across. But our anger is a survival motive. And what we're looking to create when we, when we are talk to our more spiritual, holistic friends, and they are in some way against, let's say they're pretend that they're against uh, something that the, that the current president is doing. What I find is I say to them, you can't be in survival and achieve a thriving result. You want him to operate with kindness and peace and, and um, joy and you're angry that he's not kind. Your anger only continues the anger. So if in fact, we're committed to creating a world where there is a, a general experience of peace for people, we won't get there by opposing non-peace. What you oppose, you will maintain. You will maintain it in you. You are the thing that you don't like. Most people don't realize that they do not like in the world what they're unwilling to admit about themselves. That in fact, my sister calling me fat is actually something inside of me. It's not something inside of her. If I didn't have any concern or fear or hesitance or, or anger about myself, she'd say, you're fat. And I would say, yeah, you know what? You're kind of right. I do have a few pounds to lose. There's no, there's no charge. It's in me. It's not in the world. So mm -hmm. when I begin to take into account a perspective, when I begin to practice a perspective that is not provable, it is dogma. It's dogma that the world is bad. Now, if you look at the numbers, the numbers show us beyond a shadow of a doubt that every aspect of life is getting better. But the news is in the business of selling ads, and the news knows that your drunk monkey is completely insane and irrational. So the news does the, everything it can to get your eyeballs glued to its media. And so negativity is still the best-selling thing on the planet. So it's like taking a step back and recognizing the numbers are saying the world is getting better. That's number one. Number two, I can't create a thriving result for the world if I am in a survival state. I can't create peace by hating something. Yeah, I think right there is really just pausing into that is an important message out of this whole conversation is you can't create peace from a survival state. and. Yeah, really hear that. This is brilliant. When we start really seeing what Matthew is talking about here with this quiet mind and this survival place that we come from, which you're right, um, the monkey, the drunk monkey is addicted to that bad news, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And, and, and really, it's just a perspective. So the drunk monkey is addicted to its opinion because opinion generation gave us a huge advantage. Now, opinions have become an impediment. Opinions are the source of suffering. Mm. You're not a psychic. You operate in frameworks, me, you, all of us. When I say you, I mean all of us. We operate in, in generalizations. We don't have all the data. Our brain is working to be very, very efficient. It takes in vast amounts of information and then it makes up stories. Then we live like the stories are true. 
But the stories aren't true. They're just dogma. They're just made up. And what happens is we get angry that other people don't make up the same stories that we have. And we make them wrong for not seeing the world the same way that we see it. We're not taking into account that no two people see things the same way. And everyone secretly believes that they're right, even if they say they don't. (laughs) Right. Oh, Matthew, this was really fun. I, I know our listeners are probably having a delightful time as well as this enlightened time listening to your words as well. Thank you so much for bringing this wisdom to our show today. It was super fun. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. It was fun. Maybe we'll have you back for round two here. And I want to share some of your words with our listeners to close out the show. So here we go. From an enlightened perspective, the positions of the ego are abandoned You are free to experience and express whatever uplifts and inspires you. From an enlightened perspective, suffering is transcended as you realize nothing needs to be changed, altered, or avoided. From an enlightened perspective, the world is whole and complete exactly as it is. Urgency is replaced by deep connection to your infinite nature. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Remember, together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.